Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org forward slash OC. Well, I'm glad that you're here tonight. It's so great to see you again. I said this morning that I believe that there's two essentials to a long-term healthy relationships. One is that we keep love alive, and we dealt with that this morning. And tonight, the second essential is that we deal effectively with our failures. Now, I say that this is an essential because none of us are perfect. Now, one husband did raise his hand when the speaker said, does anyone know of a perfect husband? He shot his hand right up. He said, my wife's first husband. (laughs) My observation is if there are any perfect husbands, they are deceased. And most of them got perfect after they died. The reality, there are no perfect husbands. There are no perfect wives. There are no perfect parents. We don't have to be perfect to have good relationships, but we do have to deal with our failures because our failures put a block between us an emotional block between us. And it does not go away with the passing of time. We have to deal with it. And that involves apologizing and forgiving. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Now, the Bible is very big on this topic. Listen to these verses. This is Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Now, that's talking about our relationship with God, but that principle is still true on human relationships. If we act like what we did or what we said or what we failed to do, there's nothing wrong with it, then the relationship doesn't prosper. But if we're willing to acknowledge it, that it was wrong, and turn from it, then likely, not only will we find mercy from God, but likely we'll find mercy from the other person. Then listen to this. This is what Isaiah said to the people of Israel. Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so so that he does not hear. You see, sin separates us from God as well. It puts a barrier between us and God. And God's always willing to forgive, but the barrier doesn't go away until we're willing to deal with it and confess it to God. And then he removes the barrier, and we have fellowship with him. Here's how strongly Jesus felt about this. This is Matthew chapter 5, chapter 3, pardon me. No, it's chapter (laughs) 5. I can't read my own writing. Here it is. Jesus said, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, you've hurt your brother, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go be reconciled to your brother, then come back and offer your gift. Now put that into our modern context. Jesus said, If you're sitting in church, and you remember that you've hurt somebody, leave the church and go make it right with the person, then come back and worship me. I've often wondered how many people would leave the church on Sunday morning if we practiced that. (laughs) I had a pastor say to me once, he said, Gary, he said, uh, I can give you an illustration in my own life. He said, one morning on on the way to church, my wife and I kind of got into it and I spoke harshly to her and then we went silent And then we got to the church, and he said, I let her out, and she went in, and I drove the car and parked, and then I went in my office, and later I came out, and I was sitting there getting ready, going to be preaching, and she was singing up in the group. And he said, uh, I just said to myself, and God said to me, man, how can you preach after what you just did to your wife? 
And he said, I just caught her attention and I just pointed like that. And she knew what I meant. And she left the stage and went out in the hallway. And I left and walked out in the hallway and I apologized to her. And she said, well, honey, you know I'll forgive you. I said, honey, I'm so glad. And so I came back in and I could preach. You see, that's, what, that's how strong Jesus feels about this, that we deal with our failures. So we're going to talk about apologizing and then forgiving. Where do we learn to apologize? Typically from our parents. Little Johnny pushes his sister, and his mother says, Johnny, you don't do that to sister. Now go tell her you're sorry. So little Johnny says, I'm sorry, even if he's not. I'm sorry. He's 25 now. He's married. If he offends his wife, what's he going to say? I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Typically, we learn from our parents. But what we realize is that uh, when someone's apologizing to us, what we're asking is, are they sincere? Because if we believe they're sincere, it's much easier to forgive them. But if we think they're just trying to make light of it and think it's not very much to it, just for, I'm sorry, just forgive me, it's harder to forgive them. So what we did, I say we because I wrote this book with a co-author, what we did is we, we did research for two years all over the country, all kinds of people, trying to figure out what a sincere apology looked like. And after two years of research, here's what we discovered. Look at the screen. <laughs> if you can figure this out, if you can pull this off, they're going to believe that you're sincere. Well, let me tell you what we really discovered. We asked thousands of people two questions. When you apologize, what do you typically say or do? Question number two, when someone's apologizing to you, what do you want to hear them say and do? And their answers fell into five categories. I promise you, we were not looking for five. I like five, but we weren't looking for five. But we call them the five languages of apology. So I want to share these with you. Again, you might want to just kind of jot these down. Because here's the thing. We have different ideas on what a sincere apology looks like, typically because of what our parents taught us. Now, we also discovered that uh, about 10% of the population almost never apologizes for anything. And most of them are men. And they learned that from their father. Their father said, real men don't apologize. Now, we know where their fathers got that. John Wayne, that great theologian. <laughs> real men don't apologize. And then there were others like me. My father never told me that, but I never heard my father apologize. I remember when I was about seven years old, I was in the back seat of the car. My mom and dad were in the front. And they got into it verbally. And my dad was raising his voice at her. And my mother just clammed up. I guess she had learned, looking back on it, I'm guessing she had learned that if she kept coming back, it would just get louder and longer, so she just stopped talking, and Dad ran out of steam in a little bit, and then it was real quiet, and then we got to where we were and got out of the car. I'm not saying my father did not apologize to my mother. Maybe he did privately, but I never heard him apologize. So I came into marriage with no model of an apology, and that may be true of some of you. But the reality is we were influenced by our parents in one way or another, either not to apologize or we, they gave us some idea of what an apology is. But because we have different ideas, we judge sincerity by what we think a sincere apology should look like. 
So let me, let me give you these five apologies. All of them are found in the Bible, which leads me to say that anything you discover in social research, if it's true, it'll always be in the Bible. Truth will never contradict truth. Number one, expressing regret. Expressing regret. Often with the words, I'm sorry. But please don't ever say those two words alone. Tell them what you're sorry for. I'm sorry that I lost my temper and yelled at you. I'm sorry that I came home an hour and a half late and now we've missed the program and I know you wanted to go. If you simply say to them, I'm sorry, they may well be thinking, you certainly are. Is there anything else you'd like to say? You think you're apologizing, they think you're giving a character report. Tell them what you're sorry for and don't ever add the word but. I'm sorry that I lost my temper and yelled at you, but if you had not, then I would not. And now you're no longer apologizing. You're blaming them for your poor behavior. And some of you have a habit of doing that. So let me tell you how to break that habit. The next time you hear yourself say, I'm sorry that I da-da-da-da-da, but you stop right there and say, excuse me, erase the but. And you will not erase it but three times and you'll break that habit. So, it's expressing regret. What you're communicating is that you feel badly about what you have done. That's what the word sorry typically communicates. I'm feeling badly about what I did. Here's a biblical example, the prodigal son. After he had wasted his inheritance, he came home with nothing, and here's what he said to his father. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Dad, if you could just give me a job on the farm. Do you feel the regret in that statement? I'm not worthy to be your son, Dad. You don't deserve me anything. Any, I don't deserve anything more. And then here's, here's one, Psalm 51, verse 17. This is David. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David knew that. David had come to God with a broken heart. David deeply regretted what he had done wrong. And you come to God with a broken heart, I don't care what you've done. God will forgive you. And on the human plane, that principle is there too. If we come to our spouse or anyone else with a broken heart and acknowledging that we feel badly about what we've done, we, that is one way of apologizing. A second way of apologizing is accepting responsibility. I was wrong. Should not have done that. No excuse for that. I take full responsibility. This is illustrated, uh, again, by the prodigal son. Listen to these words. After he said, uh, I'm no longer to be called your son, here's what he said. I have sinned against heaven and against you. He's accepting full responsibility for what he did. Incidentally, when you sin against your spouse or someone else, you also sin against God. When the Bible says be kind to one another and we're not kind to the other person, we need to first of all confess to God that we've broken his command and then we confess to the person. We're acknowledging to them that what we did was wrong. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The word confess means to agree with. If we agree with God that what we've done is wrong, God is willing to forgive us, always willing to forgive us. So, incidentally, this is the first step in teaching a child how to apologize. A four-year-old breaks a cookie and says, it broke, it broke. And the parent says, honey, let's say that a different way. I broke the cookie. It's not a sin to break a cookie. Just trying to help the child accept responsibility for what they did. I broke a cookie. 
My son and I were in the kitchen. He was probably seven years old, maybe six. And uh, we, the two of us were in the kitchen together, and he was at the table. I was over here near the sink. And he accidentally knocked the glass off the table. It hit the floor and broke. And I turned when I heard the noise. I turned and looked at him, and he said, it did it by itself. <laughs> and I said, Derek, let's say that a different way. I accidentally knocked the glass off the table. And he said, I accidentally knocked the glass off the table. It's not a sin to accidentally knock a glass off the table. I'm just helping him accept responsibility for what he did. Now, now some of us have trouble with this. I remember years ago when our kids were little, I woke up one morning and I said to Carolyn, somewhere in the morning routine, I said, Carolyn, where, where's my briefcase? And she said, I haven't seen it. I said, well, it was in there by the dresser. I mean, you must have moved it. And she said, Gary, I haven't seen your briefcase. I said, Carolyn, think. I got to get the kids to school. Think. I know, I know you moved it. She said, Gary, I have not seen your briefcase. I was, every round of that got higher, and I was yelling at her. I got the kids in the car, and I was nice to the kids, you know, da-da-da-da-da, have a nice day. But when I dropped the kids off at the school, I drove from the school to my office at the church, thinking to myself, how could I have married such a scatterbrained woman? I mean, this time she's lost my briefcase. Everything I owned in my briefcase. This was before computers. I didn't even know what my schedule was for today and what I was going to do. I mean, everything was in my briefcase. When I got to church, I did not walk in by all of the administrative assistants. I went in the back door to my office. Folks, when you've sinned, you don't want to see people. You want to do what Adam and Eve did in the garden, get you a bush and hide behind it and hope God won't see you. I went in the back door to my office. And I walked in, and there was my briefcase. <laughs> now I have an option. I can say to myself, I'm not going to let her know it was out here. <laughs> or I could practice what I'm teaching. And if I had done the former, I would not be using this for an illustration. So I called her. Hi, babe. Uh, I uh, found my briefcase. She didn't say anything. She knew there ought to be more to it than that. And so I said to her, I, uh, I'm sorry I yelled at you, honey. I, I, I was, I, I, what, I, 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 I was wrong. I didn't say it was easy. In fact, let's just see if y'all can say those words, I was wrong. Let's just try it out loud. Here we go. I was wrong. See, some of you had trouble even on a dry run. Acknowledging that, acknowledging. Now, now I've had guys say to me, Dr. Chapman, how can you say I was wrong if I don't think I was wrong? Listen, guys, don't get hung up on whether it was morally wrong or not. If what you did or didn't do hurt the relationship, then in that sense, it's wrong. So admit it. You know, I, I remember one time I'd been gone for a couple of days on, on a speaking thing, and, and uh, they had delivered a chair that my wife had, had up, re-upholstered. And... Uh, so I was sitting in that chair the next morning, and she walked in and said, Honey, how do you like the chair, the, the new covering? And without thinking, I said to her, Well, honey, I like it, but to be honest, I like the old cover better. And she broke into tears. I can't believe you don't like it. I spent two months going all over town trying to find the right material, and now you don't like it? Now, folks, what I said was not sin. It was just stupid, okay? <laughs> I spoke without thinking. And I apologized to her. I, didn't, I hadn't studied the love languages, uh, the apology languages at that time, but I just, I, I, I said everything I could think of to tell her how bad I was at what I'd just done. And thank God she forgave me. 
You know, I, I, don't, I, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here if my wife hadn't forgiven me along the way. I don't know about you, but if I had to face all the ways that I've hurt her along the way, I wouldn't be here. Thank God she's forgiven me. But uh, accepting responsibility is a, another way to express your sincerity. The third one is offering to make restitution. Offering to make restitution. What can I do to make this right? What can I do to make this right? You see, for some people, if you don't offer to make it right, then in their mind, you're not sincere. Very interesting. Before we published this book, uh, When Sorry Isn't Enough, I, uh, I sent the manuscript to a, a counselor friend of mine actually in California. And I said, would you just read this and, and give us feedback on it? He wrote back later, he said, Gary, this thing's helping me in my marriage. He said, my wife and I decided we were going to read it together. And he said, when we read that number one, expressing regret, I knew that's what I thought it was a sincere apology. So what have I done, he said, for the 15 years of our marriage? If I've offended my wife, I've told her, I'm sorry, honey, I'm sorry. And he said, it just always seemed like she couldn't let it go. He said, we got to this one, and she said, this is what I've been waiting for for 15 years. You have never, ever offered to make things right. He said, Gary, never crossed my mind. He said, but now I do. I still tell her I'm sorry, but I also say, okay, honey, now what can I do to make it right? And he said, she always has an idea. <laughs> and whenever she does, and I do it, he said, she can let it go. You see, in all these years, in her mind, he was not sincere. I'm sorry, just didn't hack it for her. But now that he knew that this is what she considered to be a sincere apology, now he's speaking her language, and now she gets it, and it makes it much easier for her to forgive. Now, now I, I know guys that, you, you, you guys would never do this. You married guys would never do this. But let's say that you forget your anniversary. No flowers, no candy, no dinner, nothing. And so you're sitting there that night, and you look over on the couch, and she starts crying. And you say, honey, what's wrong? And she says, I can't believe you don't know what's wrong. And it dawns on you. I doubt that I'm sorry is going to hack it. I doubt that even I'm sorry I was wrong is going to hack it. But you say, oh, honey, oh, honey, oh, honey, I, I blew it big this time. Uh, honey, I thought on Monday that I was going to make reservations for dinner, and I just totally forgot. Honey, I am so wrong. I have, but, 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 but look, honey, look, 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 look. I, I, know, I know we can't celebrate tonight, but we can still celebrate, honey. I mean, you know, what would you like to do? We, we, can, we can still celebrate. I want us to celebrate. What can we do, honey? She'll have an idea. A little trip to Hawaii or something like that, you know. <laughs> she'll, she'll have an idea. Yeah, yeah. This is exactly what Zacchaeus did. Listen to this verse. This is Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus, after he encountered Jesus, here's what he said. Lord, if I've cheated anyone, I'm going to pay them back four times what I took. Wow. That is restitution. Incidentally, if you have a business, this is huge in the business world. Uh, just think about this for a minute. Let's say that you, you go out to a restaurant and the waiter or the waitress accidentally spill something on your clothing. And they say, oh, I'm so sorry. And maybe they even get you a paper towel to wipe it off. And you're sitting there thinking, you're sorry? I've got a meeting after this dinner. And, and look at this. And you're not saying it, you're just thinking it, okay? If that's all that happens and they just said, I'm sorry, you probably won't ever go back to that restaurant. But if the manager comes out and says, I understand we had a little accident. 
And my, my waiter or my waitress is back there really upset because they realize what they did. But listen, I, two things I want you to know. We value our customers. This meal is on us. That's the least we can do. And if you'll tell me how much you think it'll cost to get that clean, I want to give you cash tonight because we value our customers. You'll go back to that restaurant because they, they sought to make restitution for you. Okay? Number four is genuinely repenting. Genuinely repenting or expressing the desire to change your behavior. I'll give you an illustration because that's what repenting means. You know, repentance means you're walking your own life, doing what you want to do, and you are into all kinds of things, and you hear about Christ, and you hear about what he did on the cross. Repentance means you turn away from that lifestyle that you were living, and you run to the cross and confess your sins, and God forgives you. You, you have turned away, and you're moving in another direction. That's what repentance means. So I'll give you an example of this. Uh, the lady said to me in my office when I was explaining this to her one day, she said, Dr. Chapman, I'll give you a perfect example of that. She said, when our, when, our little, when our baby was little, probably about 16 months old, my husband said he would keep the baby for a little while while I was doing something else in the house. And the baby started crying. And he did everything he could to get the baby to stop crying, to pacify her and all kinds of stuff. And the baby just kept screaming, just kept screaming. And he lost his temper with our baby. And he picked up our baby and started shaking our baby. And when he did, she said, I grabbed the baby and said, don't do that to our baby. And I ran to the bedroom just sobbing. And she said, 10 or 15 minutes later, he knocked on the door and asked me if he could come in. And he walked in and he started crying. And he said, honey, I can't believe I did that. You know, I love her, baby. I don't ever want to do that again. I feel so badly about what I did. Can you help me? Can we get a plan so I won't do that again? She said, Gary, I, was, I felt so strongly that he was sincere. And she said, I forgave him even though what he did was horrible. And she said, we sat there and we talked. And we came up with a simple plan that if he ever felt himself about to lose his temper with one of our children, he would just say to me out loud, honey, I'm hot. I got to take a walk. And I would know what that meant. And he could take his walk and I'd take over. And then he would cool off. He'd come back. He wouldn't walk all night. He'd come back <laughs> and he said, okay, honey, I think I'm under control. What can I do to help you? He plugged back into the evening. She said, Gary, that was eight years ago. He's never lost his temper with one of our children since. So he's taken quite a few walks, but he's never lost his temper. You see, he, that's a perfect example of what we're talking about here, is that you not only are saying you're sorry and you were wrong or whatever, but you're saying, I don't want to do that again. You see, here's what happens a lot of times. We say I'm sorry or whatever way we apologize and our spouse forgives us. And then the next month we do the same thing again and we're sorry again and they forgive us. And about the fifth time we do this, they're thinking, how could you be sorry and you don't make any effort to change? It makes it very difficult for them to think that you're sincere. So uh, when you express the desire to change your behavior and you talk with your spouse or a close friend or whatever and get a plan so you won't do that again, now they're believing that you're sincere. And number five is actually requesting forgiveness. Will you forgive me? I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. Now, I have to be honest. This one was not on my radar. I mean, I thought if I'm apologizing in any manner, wouldn't you know that I want to be forgiven? 
Otherwise, why would I be apologizing? But there's some people, if you don't ask for forgiveness in their mind, you haven't sincerely apologized. Now, very interesting. My coworker was talking with her mother and her mother said, I can give you a perfect example of that at work. She said, I have a friend. We've been friends for 15 years at work, close friends at work. And she said, I noticed the last couple of days that she had been rather quiet. And so I said to her at a break, is everything all right between you and me? Incidentally, that's the way friends talk. If you think something's wrong, you ask. And she said, my friend said, you know, one of the things that bothers me about you, you don't ever apologize. Her mother said, I was shocked. And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, you remember two weeks ago when you did da, 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 da. And she said, yes, I do remember that. But I told you I was sorry. And the lady said, I know, but you didn't ask me to forgive you. And the mother said, I was shocked again. And I said, well, then let me ask you to forgive me. I value our relationship. So will you please forgive me? And the lady said, sure. <laughs> it wasn't that she didn't want to forgive. It was in her mind her mother hadn't apologized. So for some people, this is very important. Now, here's what I'm suggesting, that each of us has a primary apology language, very similar to a love language, our, our love language. However, with, a, with the apology, it's more likely to be a couple of these rather than just one of these. But there's a difference in what you perceive to be an apology and what your spouse perceives to be a sincere apology. So one of my suggestions is, after this is over tonight in your home, why don't you discuss, honey, what, what were you taught growing up? Uh, to, on how to apologize. And, and how do you typically apologize? And what do you think? What, what, what do you want to hear when, when I need to apologize to you? It, just discuss it and find out so that now you've got information to know how you can express your sincerity. If we just do what comes natural, and that is what we were taught as children, it may not be connecting with them. So uh, I remember I was giving this lecture to a group of single adults before we wrote the book. And after it was over, a couple came up. I found out later they were engaged to each other. And uh, he said to me, and it, with her standing there beside him, he said, Dr. Chapman, I'm not glad I came to this thing tonight. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, you gave all those apology languages and said, we sat back there and talked about it. And he said, she told me that she, she thought a sincere apology was for me to say, I'm sorry. He said, I've never said those words. He said, to me, it sounds kind of girly. And he said, I don't know if I can say that. So he said, what's that going to mean to our marriage? And I said, his name was Carl. I said, Carl, let me ask you a question. Have you ever done anything in your whole life that you, you regretted doing? He said, well, yes. I said, well, can you just give me an example? He said, well, when I came home from my mother's funeral, he said, the night before the funeral, he said, I went out to the bar. I was just going to get a beer and I ended up getting drunk. And he said, the next morning I had such a hangover that I, I don't remember anything that happened at my mother's funeral. And I've always felt badly and felt like I let her down because she was on my case about drinking too much and I just felt like I blew it big time with mama and just let her down totally. I've always felt bad about that. And I said, well, uh, well Carl, if you could talk to your mother right now, what would you say to her? And he stood there a minute and started crying. And he said, I tell her, I'm sorry, I went to the, the bar that night. I said, Mama, I didn't mean to get drunk, but I'm, I'm just, I know I let you down, Mama. I'm so sorry for what I did, and I hope you can forgive me, forgive me, Mama. I said, Carl, you know what you just said? 
He said, yeah, I told my mom, I said, I'm sorry. And then he said, do you think she hurt me? <laughs> now, I don't know what you pastors would say to him, but I'm going to tell you what I told him. I said, Carl, I think your mama heard you, buddy. And I think your mama forgave you. You know, the Bible does say there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels when a sinner repents. Didn't say the angels were rejoicing. It said rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Maybe, does, maybe God does call mamas over and say, look at your boy down there. You know? <laughs> a year later, that couple came to a marriage conference I was leading, and they came up on Saturday morning early, and uh, Carl said, uh, Dr. Chapman, I don't know if you remember us or not. I said, Carl, I'll never forget you, man. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, we're married now. And he said, we, we just want to get off to a good start in our marriage. And we came to the conference. And I said, I'm so glad you came. And I looked at her and said, does he know how to say I'm sorry? She said, Dr. Chapman, he does. He's a good apologizer. I said, does he speak your love language? He said, oh, yeah. She said, my, my tank is full. Then I switched it the other way around. Because I do believe these two things. If you keep the love tank full and you deal with your failures, you're on the road to having a long-term marriage. Now, apology alone does not restore a relationship. Apology opens the door to the possibility, but there has to be a response to the apology. And the biblical response is to forgive the person. Now, God is our model when it comes to forgiving. I want, let's talk about forgiveness now. A lot of fuzzy thinking about forgiveness. God is our model. This is Ephesians 4, verse 12. Be kind to one another. Now, listen. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. In other words, we're to forgive in the same way that God has forgiven us. Well, how does God forgive us? Well, 1 John 1, 9, the verse we gave you earlier. If we confess our sins... God is faithful and just to forgive us. God doesn't forgive everybody. God forgives people who confess their sins and acknowledge they need to be forgiven, they want to be forgiven, and they realize that Christ paid the penalty and they're asking God to forgive them based on what Christ did for them. That's the model. Now, what is forgiveness? Well, there's three Hebrew words and four Greek words that in the Bible are translated forgive or forgiveness. But there's two central ideas. One is to pardon the individual, to pardon, to lift the penalty. I'm not going to make you pay for this for the next 15 years. I'm going to lift the penalty. I'm going to pardon you. And the other is to take away, to remove the barrier between us. You see, whenever we hurt the other person, we put an emotional barrier between the two of us. And it sits there, and it won't go away with the passing of time unless we deal with it. And when they apologize to us and we choose to forgive them, we remove the barrier so that now our relationship can go forward. You see, when people don't do that, what happens is they build a wall between them. There was an altercation. Nobody apologized. Nobody forgave. It sat there. Then there was another one and then another one and another one. And now couples have long, high walls between the two of them and they can't talk to each other. It's hard to talk over a wall, hard to talk through a wall, and that's when people begin to think we're just too different. It's not going to work. Uh, too many things have happened, been hurt too much. It's never going to work out. The reality, if one of them chooses to confess their failures in the past, and this one chooses to forgive, and this one confesses their failures, and this one forgives, the wall can be torn down and we can go forward. I don't care what's happened. But forgiveness is those two things. Now, 
Forgiveness, then, is a godly response to an apology. We're simply doing what God did for us. We're doing for the other person what God did for us. He forgave us, and we're choosing to forgive them. Now, let me say a couple of things about what forgiveness does not do. Because sometimes we, we you know, there's some circles in which people get the idea, it's not, it's not too bad to sin. I mean, all you got to do is just confess to God, and God forgives you, and everything's fine. Well, not exactly. Listen, listen to these statements. First of all, I want to say forgiveness does not destroy our memory. You may have heard people say, if you haven't forgotten, you haven't forgiven. Folks, that's not true. Everything that's ever happened to us our whole life is stored in the human brain. And when you're hurt by somebody, that event, that event is stored in the human brain. And even when the person comes and apologizes, and even when you choose to forgive them and remove the barrier, from time to time, that memory will jump back into your mind. You will remember what they did. Secondly, forgiveness does not remove all painful emotions. When the memory comes back, the emotions come back. It may be the emotion of anger. It may be the emotion of hurt or any other number of emotions. But the memory brings back the emotions. You feel the same thing you felt when you first found out about it or when you, when you were first hurt. Now, what do you do with that? If they've already apologized and you made the choice to forgive, what do you do with the memory and the emotions? I believe you take them to God. And you say, Lord, you know what I'm remembering tonight. And you know what I'm feeling again. But I thank you that I forgave that. Now help me to do something good today. And you move out to do something good. You move out to express love to them in their love language. And what happens is over a period of time, the memory will come back less often and the emotions will come back less painful over a period of time. But they're still there and the possibility is always that they can jump back in your mind. Number three, forgiveness does not remove all the consequences of sin. Folks, we are never better for having sinned. There's always consequences when we sin. Can I, can I illustrate? You know, the Bible says very clearly, don't get drunk. Let's say I violate that, and I get drunk. And I'm driving my car down the street under the influence of alcohol, and I have an accident, and my car is wrecked, and I break my leg. Right there in that car, I can confess my sin to God, and God will forgive me. But my car is still messed up and my leg is still broken. Are you with me? You know, let's say that one of, well, a married couple and one of them has an affair. And, and eventually they repent of that. They turn away from that. They come back and apologize. And this person eventually forgives them. And now they're trying to work on their marriage. And, but in that affair, this person picked up a sexually transmitted disease. God will forgive them, their spouse will forgive them, but they still got the disease. Are you with me? Yeah. So, listen, we're never better for having sinned. When the, Bible, when the Bible says don't do that, you're better off if you don't do it. If the Bible says do that, you're better off to do it. If you want the best possible life, you just don't do what the Bible says don't do and do what the Bible says do. Every guideline God gave us in the Bible grew out of his love for us. He wants us to have the best possible life, and he told us how. So we're never better for having sin. So the consequences may, will, 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 will abide, and those consequences will be different depending on what the sin was, of course. And then number four, forgiveness does not rebuild trust. I find this most often where there has been an affair, 
and there has been an apology, there has been a forgiveness, and now they're in my office trying to rebuild their marriage. And maybe it was a husband was the, the guilty party, could have been her just as easily, but she says, Dr. Chapman, I have forgiven him, but to be honest with you, I don't trust him. And my response is, welcome to the human race. Folks, forgiveness does not restore trust. Trust is broken when we are untrustworthy. Trust is reborn when we are trustworthy. So what I say in that situation to that husband, if you want her to trust you again, here's what I suggest. You say, honey, my computer is yours anytime you want to look at it. My phone is yours anytime you want to look at it. If I tell you that I'm going over to George's house to help him work on his car, it's fine with me if you want to come by and make sure I'm there. I'm through with deceit. I've hurt you enough. I don't want to hurt you anymore. You take that approach, in a few months, your wife will come to trust you. Trust is rebuilt. Forgiveness opens the door to the possibility that trust can be rebuilt, okay? And then the last one is that forgiveness does not always result in reconciliation. This is true uh, when, for example, a husband leaves his wife and goes off with somebody that he got the tingles for, and uh, he gets remarried and he moves to somewhere else, and uh, 10 years later, he encounters God, and his whole life is turned around. And uh, into that five more years, into that growth with God, he says to himself, you know, I, I should apologize to my former wife and my kids whom I haven't seen in 15 years. And so he makes the trip and he apologizes to his former wife and apologizes to his now grown children. And they, they may forgive him. In fact, they should forgive him. But it won't, they won't be reconciled. The husband and wife won't be reconciled. I mean, he's, he's already remarried. Maybe she is, you know. So in those kind of situations, it won't mean reconciliation. But it does mean that you've, you've dealt with it. And now there's a different difference in the relationship with your children. And maybe those adult children maybe even, even be able to have a relationship with them. Okay? So here's a question I want to ask. Now that you understand this concept, what if the person does not speak your apology language? What if they apologize, but it's just in the way their parents taught them and it doesn't really communicate to you that they were sincere? Well, then, by nature, we will question their sincerity. It's just natural. We will question their sincerity because in our mind, that's not a sincere apology. But by faith, we choose to forgive them. Now that you know that there are at least five ways to apologize and they're using at least one of those, you can say to yourself, well, I guess that's what his mother taught him or her mother taught her. So now that I know that that is a way of apologizing, I'm going to choose to forgive them. Okay? Now, it's better, of course, it's better, of course, if you talk about this and you discover what their apology language is, which one or two of these is really meaningful to them, and you learn to do that. That's the healthiest thing. And in a, in a marriage, we should always do that because we want to apologize in a way that's meaningful to the other person. Now, I want to say just a word about what do you do if the person does not apologize? Because often this is the case in a marriage or in other relationships. The person does something that's wrong, that hurts you, but they don't come to apologize. The biblical pattern is we lovingly confront them. We lovingly confront them. Uh, in Luke chapter 17, verse 3, this is not on the screen. But Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. 
The word rebuke means to put a weight upon. I say you lovingly confront because the Bible says in Galatians that if we see a brother who has sinned, those of us who are spiritual should seek to renew them with a gentle spirit because we may be the one who sins next. So we lovingly confront them and say in a marriage we might say something like this. You know, honey, I don't know uh, if I'm reading this the wrong way, but uh, something's really bothering me. Is this a good time to share it with you? And then you share what they did or what they didn't do, what they said or didn't say. And you say, in my mind, honey, it just, it just, it just, it just went right to my heart. I mean, it cut me deeply to the heart. So you're, 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 you're approaching them with it. Now, maybe, maybe, they maybe you did misunderstand, and they can explain it to you, and you say, oh, okay, I saw that totally different. I, I, heard, I didn't hear it that way. Uh, but they have a chance now to apologize. In Matthew 18, the verse that's on the screen there, Jesus said this, you go to the person and you confront them. If they don't apologize, then you take somebody with you and two of you go, typically somebody that they trust, and the two of you go and approach them with it. And if they still don't apologize, he said, tell it to the church. And the idea is the church will send a representative, and then if they don't apologize, he didn't say forgive them anyway. He said, then if they don't apologize, you treat them as a pagan. What do you do for pagans? You pray for pagans. You're kind to pagans if you have a chance. Didn't say forgive them. You see, there, there's, there is a train of thought in the Christian church that you're supposed to forgive people whether they apologize or whether they don't apologize. Folks, God doesn't do that. I'll tell you where, where this became real to me. How many times when there's been, uh, when there's been a, uh, an unfaithfulness sexually in the marriage relationship and the, the wife, let's say the wife comes to the pastor... And she's broken, she's angry, and she's sharing how awful this is. And, and the pastor sees her anger, and the pastor says to her, you got to forgive him or it's going to kill you. And now she walks away feeling guilty because she can't forgive him. Here's my question. Has God forgiven him? If he's still living in sin, has God forgiven him? So the pastor is asking her to do something even God hasn't done. When that dawned on my heart, and I changed the way I was responding to that in my counseling, that's not, it's, not, it's not her responsibility to forgive him. It's her responsibility to pray for him. Yeah. And, and, to be, and to be kind with him if she has a chance to be kind to him. And then, number two, then we release the person to God. That's what she's doing. She's releasing him to God. She's saying essentially, Lord, I've, I've done everything I know to do. If there's anything else I can do, I'm willing to do it, but I've done everything I know to do. And he continues in, that, in, his, in his sin. So I'm going to turn him over to you. Turn him over to you. And that's, that's precisely uh, what Jesus did. Here, here's 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 23. Peter says this about Jesus. When they reviled against him, he did not revile in return, but he committed himself to the one who judges righteously. He's talking about the people that killed him. He turned them over to God, his father. So we release them to God, and then we pray for them, and we stand ready to forgive them. We pray that God will work in their hearts. We pray that God will bring them to repentance, and we stand ready to forgive them. And then here's the one that we will never be able to do without God's help. We return good for evil. We return good for evil. Listen to this. 
It's Romans chapter 12. Do not take revenge, but on the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, people have read that and said, that's what I want to do, put burning coals on their head. <laughs> and they missed the point. They didn't have matches back in those days. Every household had a little bed of coals. And if your little bed of coals went dead, you had to go to the neighbor's house and take your jar and they'd put some hot coals in there and you'd wrap it up and put it on your head and take it back. It was a good thing, not a bad thing. I'll give you one example of this. A lady said to me, Dr. Chapman, she said, uh, my husband left me and he moved in with, a, with a, the lady that he was seeing. And she said, I was so mad and so hurt. And she said, I made every effort, and he wouldn't respond. And she said, one morning in my time with God, I read, this, I read these verses in Romans 12, that I was to return good for evil. And she said, God just said to me, I want you to bake his favorite pie and take it over there and give it to him. And she said, I said to God, if I made his pie and went over there, I'd throw it in his face. <laughs> she said, the next morning, God brought me back to the same passage. She said, it took God four days to get me to the place that I was willing to bake the pie. And she said, I baked it. And I took it over there and rang the bell. He came to the door. He was behind the screen. And I said to him, uh, I was having my time with God the other morning. And God just impressed on me that I should bake you a pie and bring it to you. So I want to give it to you. And he said, well, that's mighty kind of you. And he opened the door and took the pie and then closed the door in her face. She said, Dr. Chapman, that was the first step in our two-year process of reconciliation. I hate to think what would have happened if I would not bake the cake, the pie. You understand? Folks, you can't go wrong following the Bible and returning good for evil. But remember I said you're not likely to do that unless you have the help of God. Unless the Holy Spirit that we've been singing about tonight is sitting on the throne of our hearts. We won't do that. We will have revenge. We'll take, we won't do everything we can. A man told me, he said, Dr. Chapman, I went over there. She left me. I went over there. He said, I just took a knife and chopped all four of her tires. And I said, you can go to jail for that. He said, well, I didn't think about that. He was doing what comes natural. When you've been hurt, you want to hurt somebody. It's supernatural when you return good for evil. But you're cooperating with God in trying to touch their hearts. So, well, I really do believe that what we talked about tonight is an essential. It's learning to apologize to each other and learning to forgive the other person. Remember this, forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. A choice to relift the penalty, to remove the barrier so that our relationship can go forward. And when there's apology and when there's forgiveness, you're on the road to growing wherever you are. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.